0: Welcome back to Women of AV Poly. I'm your host, Deirdre Mitchell-McLean.
1: And I'm her sweaty as heck hot flashing co-host,
0: <laughs> Kathleen Smith, <laughs> a.k.a. Kiki Planet. It is, it is hot ones and really, we've probably got a hot podcast too because we were finally able to bring together two journalists who have been working on... Uh, both politics and not always politics, but still in the industry, um, we have from actually both from Edmonton. We're lopsided again. Uh, <laughs> Catherine Grakowski from Alberta today. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks for having me on. And Sheila Pratt, retired but formerly. Uh, there's a there's a long list, and I'm going to get you to start to tell me about that, and then we'll go back to you, Catherine.
2: Well, thanks. I'm happy to be here with you guys. It's going to be a fun, it'll be a fun show. So yeah, I have, I have been around a long time on the commentary scene and the politics scene and the news scene, starting in Medicine Hat News in the late 70s. Can you believe it? (laughs) Then moved up to the Calgary Herald, where I covered uh, Ralph Klein's unexpected maritalty victory, which was then my ticket to great news coverage. And then uh, I came up to the Ledge Bureau in 82 for the Herald. And, uh, after about five or six years doing that, I moved over to the Edmonton Journal and uh, was, went up in management there for a while and then went back to writing for the last 10 or 15 years. Politics and a bunch of different stories, lots of oil sand stories, that kind of thing. So it's all the same story we're hearing about today. So it would be great <laughs> to
0: please, <Yeah, laughs> a, a
2: historic perspective.
0: <laughs> and Catherine. Because you're now with Alberta today, but that's not where you started. No,
3: so long and winding path. I, I didn't even know I wanted to be a journalist until kind of the final semester of high school, then applied to McEwen. It was then college, it's now a university, so did my two-year diploma program, did my internship at the Journal, got a job at the Sherwood Park Strathcona County News. Um, was there for a few years then moved on to the 24 hours uh Edmonton Sun combined newsroom RIP 24. <laughs> and then um of course in 2016 I believe was the merger between the the Sun and Journal. And so I was there for a few years, decided I needed to get out, uh applied for the Toronto or I guess it was the Star Metro and after that um, did, did a bit of freelancing, did some work with uh, Taproot for their health innovation newsletter and then in 2018 um, uh, the Queen's Park Today, which is a, a daily politics newsletter, decided to expand out west um well th- there was a uh, bc today before that and then uh alberta today right before the the election it was kind of dropped in and i've been doing it ever since
0: Ah, oh, awesome and kathleen you're so muted
2: so we actually overlapped for about six weeks i think before <laughs> yeah I left. yeah that's right yeah I have to share
1: with both of you, I'm so excited to have both of you here. Uh, I I often tell people my first celebrity crush was Tom Brokaw. That's not a joke. I'm dead serious. I think I was about 10 or 11 when I started crushing on him. And journalists have, have always, journalists, reporters have always uh, been a f- a profession, a field of people that I hold in such high esteem, because you tell our stories, you keep us informed. And for the most part, I think reporters and journalists still provide us with truth on a daily basis. And often that truth isn't what those in power want us to have. So I'm super excited to have both of you here. I have so much respect for what you do, but especially I have so much respect for what you do as women in this field, <laughs> because like far too many fields, it's a heck of a lot harder for women than it is for men. So thank you for joining us for, for this episode, and let's get to it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and so the first the first thing that I wanted to throw out because one of the things that we well I keep seeing online and this this just bugs me to no end is when someone comments on an article that is generally it's a reporting article right and then they pop in and say well why didn't you talk about this and why didn't you talk about that and i'm always like cuz that's not the role of this that's that's not what this particular article does and so i wanted to start off with the difference between reporting and analysis and opinion cuz <laughs> those are three very different articles and three very different styles of writing and Oh, yeah, let's start there.
2: (laughs) Well, it's true. The differences are often lost on people between these things. and I think even more so now than when I started out because it gets blurred on Twitter all the time. Social media really blurs it um, a lot. But in, in mainstream newspapers, it's still there are still the categories and they matter. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's frustrating. People say, well, why did you let him get away with saying that? Well, I'm quoting him so you can know what he said, right? right? And that's where we have to start. So,
3: yeah, please don't shoot the messenger.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> the you all just tricked in the book, isn't it? Shoot the messenger. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah Kath, I've I've seen, uh, specifically, Catherine, I've seen you deal with that online so many times in the Alberta Ledge feed. <laughs> to the point where now it's quite commonplace you'll you'll just quote what the premier has said or what the health minister has said and immediately there's a backlash of why are you amplifying this that which kind of well it's kind of her job to tell us what he <laughs> says if she doesn't who the heck is gonna like <laughs> it's in the job description
3: yeah and, and i don't know if it's ah uh, i don't know if it's a Lack of intellectual curiosity or what it is, but there's there's almost this great divide that has gone on where you cannot um, listen to anybody who is outside of your sphere or your your type of influence but mm-hmm. I, I was always taught uh, straight from uh, journalism school that um, even if you are a columnist to be a, a stronger columnist, lay out the arguments you're against and then refute them yes rather than no let's not not talk about this at all just ignore um, it completely <laughs> yeah let's let's pretend this this doesn't <laughs> exist like for for myself i will read everything from you know coke funded fraser institute report reports to um communist web publications like the socialist worldwide web like i will i will read as widely as i possibly can it doesn't mean you agree with anything i think i think you should be able to uh listen to something and then and then decide mm-hmm. does that yeah. make sense
1: yes i think there's almost become a, a a religiosity to how we digest news now it reminds me a lot of you know i, I grew up in a, a church culture where when we had doubts about some of the things that were being taught to us and we asked questions the what we were told time and time again was well don't read this don't talk to these people don't associate with these people because they're going to fill your head with stuff you shouldn't know well i'm not sure what we shouldn't know you know i kind of think <laughs> we should know all of it and we of course, we have a responsibility to educate ourselves, but we're also very dependent upon our media to give us a starting point at the very least, to give mm-hmm. us a synopsis. Sheila, you've, you've been in this field for a very long time. So uh, I'm wondering, and I, I think it's a pretty obvious question and answer, but I'm wondering how much you've seen the attitude towards reporters and journalists change. And if you've if you've seen that change, uh, what's the word amplified or accelerated uh, since the Trump era and this fake news rhetoric that we get a lot of? What what are the most alarming changes that you've seen?
2: Well, I, I think that the divisiveness uh, in the political culture it makes it very difficult for journalists to work. And one of you know one and one side one actually important impact of that has been journalists are now dissed as you know you're not you're reporting fake news even if you're reporting the facts so it makes it a it makes it very difficult to do the job i'm actually glad i'm not out there at the white house trying to cover that that would be just a very <laughs> yeah. difficult thing but you know it goes it goes back you could see the changes coming in the 90s and one thing i always think about was the whole debate around climate change that you know, in science, this this was one of the first big dilemmas for media trying to report this thing, because there was this huge consensus that we have climate change. But we still reported, if you reported, you know, climate scientists say this will happen, then you always had to also quote the deniers who saying, but of course, we know it's not true, because you do two sides in a story. But that was a what they call now a false equivalency it wasn't two sides but it was a belief not a fact that had to be in the story because we felt we had to be balanced and that was because as things got more more divisive and polarized there was more pressure on the media to reflect those sides but it then it became some of your news was about belief not about fact as you and those are two different things and that's really got heightened in the trump era i mean it's his belief that you know, the election was stolen from him. It is not based on fact. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he outlet devoted to that belief and ignores the fact. So it's, it's been there for a while, but it's so heightened in the Trump era. It's terrible.
0: And so do you think that that, um, because with, with the reporting, and I know when I first started, um, I I worked for uh, my local paper here, the Strathmore Times for a bit, and I'd never done it before. I wrote but i'd never actually done just strict reporting and so you know i remember her telling me well you need to you know you need to ask for this or that like both sides kind of thing and i was like no (laughs) like i'm actually not going to do that and and i mean that was like that was a decision that i could make because i wasn't a staffer i i was someone who covered these things for the paper they needed somebody to do it they accepted you know the the little bit of push that i did which was you know i will talk to people that are there but i'm not going to i'm not going to go out of my way to find someone who's going to refute something uh that that i know to be true right i'm not going to go out of my way to include something right that that just gives me a quote i guess and and that's so I, I don't know where I got the backbone to do that. <laughs> <Good for you>. <laughs> right. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about, I'm like, that was kind of maybe not how I should have done it, but they cheeky. kept me. So <laughs> pardon me. A little cheeky, a well, little <laughs> well,
1: cheeky. Yeah.
0: But That's... and I think too, because I started covering politics, right. So starting from that where I, I never reported on anything else. So starting from that, I already knew that there was a big problem with, you know, why would I include that if it's not true?
3: And, oh, and that was,
0: that's... yeah. So yeah. so I'm wondering, though, too, that with, because uh, Sheila, you and I had talked about this as well, when you're reporting, and I actually did this the other night on one of Kenny's uh, Facebook lives, I live tweet them. And I actually, <laughs> I was, normally I do this because I'm like, People should know what's being said, right? That's why I was doing it. And this one night, I just didn't have the patience. And I was like, he's commenting on something. He has no qualification to talk about. And I'm just not going to repeat it. <laughs> 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 Again, maybe yeah. getting a little off uh, what I'm doing there. But, but there's an expectation that reporting will give you just the facts. But I see, like I said, constant, constantly people are saying, why aren't you talking about this or why aren't you including this and that's not what reporting does then we're getting into analysis and we're getting into opinion right and i mean the the sun the sun and the herald remember rick bell's columns always used to say opinion on top of them Mm -hmm. and i don't feel like they're i don't feel like they're highlighting that as much anymore from you know so people aren't necessarily being told immediately this is what you're reading.
1: I so I have a question for Catherine because uh, you've you've worked for what is considered a conservative media outlet. Um, Unless you're really really far right wing, and then we're
3: the sun. Then you're a bunch of then commies. you're
1: yeah <laughs> you're a bunch of commie leftists. Um, it, is there pressure on reporters to give? Reporting stories uh, a slant either to the left or the right. I I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna touch op-ed because as I try to tell people on a daily basis, op-ed is not news. Op-ed is simply opinion. You can read it, you can reject it. It doesn't make any difference. It's not factual. If you don't like it, ignore it. But as far as actual reporting, do you find there's any? pressure for reporters to put a slant on their columns
3: okay. I, I i would actually push back on the uh the idea that um columnists can't be journalists because there's some some columnists who just spew off whatever they feel like saying but i mean i think of a paula simon's like paul simon's yes queen <laughs> <He did> original- <laughs> she's a queen <laughs> <laughs> But um, in terms of editorial direction, so um, at the Sun, uh, you know, it was a populist paper. But um, I know the first article I ever got tabled in the legislature was how the uh, that I wrote for the Sun was how the privatized electricity market um is costing people money and it's hitting the pocketbook. So it's it's how you f- frame the facts, I'd say, um. I, but it's but it's not like you're you're told oh you 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 this is far too lefty you you
0: have to <laughs> like what are you what are you talking it depends about? on the publication
3: it it depends on the publication <laughs> and and i mm. i don't know I think there was sort of uh, a perception that we are all right wing um I think a great example I could give is um covering i, I wasn't a full time uh court reporter, but I did fill in for some of the Stories and Sheila covered this way more than I did the Omar Khadr um, case, mm. and there was a columnist with that chain who wrote some absolutely vile things. I would argue not based in fact, and as a result, for for a while, Omar Khadr's lawyer wouldn't even talk to us as journalists. So it it's it's like it it has it has uh, repercussions. Um, people's perception of what your paper does. And I guess on that topic, there's kind of three levels of bias, if you want to talk about. There's like the individual reporter's lens and how they view the world. There's the publication's lens and how they want to frame stories. And then there's, you know, journalism as a whole. And uh, what does this industry or what does, what does this institution... Um, do so. We're we're having conversations, you know, about systemic bias in journalism, about whether it's coverage of Israel Palestine or of police issues. You know, we're having those those large conversations. So, mm-hmm. and, Sheila,
1: that's that kind of leads into uh, how publications are suffering right now. And they really are suffering. We're seeing mass layoffs with Post Media. We've seen them with Chorus, uh, which isn't necessarily a publication, but still old style media. And there's a lot of discussion happening about what has led to that. And time and time again, I see reporters and journalists getting the blame that it's because you're out of touch with the general public. You're not writing what we want to read, read. (laughs) which is, you know, how are you supposed to write something that everyone wants to read when we're living in what is possibly the most divisive times we've ever seen politically? Uh, How much of it do you think is, is really about publications failing to meet the needs of readership and how much is because of the social media explosion. Everybody's got a podcast now. Everyone's got a little newsletter they're put, putting out. And that's kind of changed the landscape for what is journalism, what is media. What do you see as, as factors that have led to a, an industry that right now is failing at the very least financially?
2: Well, there's a lot of, you've named a lot of interconnected factors. So, of course, newspapers don't serve the readers the way they used to. When I was city editor there, I think we had 40 people in the city newsroom, and now I think there's a dozen. So, already, you're not covering many of the stories you used to cover. You're not doing a lot of investigative stuff that people used to like. So, and the, the range of the stories and the number of stories, you could just really cut back. And the 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 rise of social media which picks more niche topics and so you'll have the narwhal that's really geared to environmental stuff you have um you know different publications that find a niche that and the newspapers were the last department stores to survive i mean you know they had something for everybody and yeah now they're really suffering and they're suffering mainly because the ad revenue is disappearing and so you buy for every you know dollar you get an ad in the newspaper you get 10 cents online it's 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 just pretty basic economics so and the question is do are what people looking for has that changed are people looking for a news source that's more aligned with their own biases or are they looking for the old-fashioned public forum for debate which is what newspapers were and i i don't ever like this this question of, you know, you get told how to write things. No, I, that never happened to me. I don't think that happens very often at all. I think that in the opinion side of the paper, the national post runs way more conservative offensive opinions and they will also do some in their national pages stories that other papers wouldn't do. Like they gave Kenny a big splash on the Johnny McDonald stuff. And they'll probably do more stories on that because that's kind of their readership. But, um, but for local reporters in the newsrooms, I don't, I don't think it happens. But they're just so, so much fewer of them. Everybody's got a website out there, and you can't. And the, the websites, people trust them when they don't even know what the origins of them are. So that, that is also another issue. That's, That's a problem for readers. Um, so what, what does it mean when they say you're not writing what, what I want to read, because you're not writing what my political bias is? You're not covering what my political party says, you're giving more coverage to the other guy. And are you really, or is it just, that's how the news breaks down. So you really have to look at that question at more in depth. What are you, what is it that you want, right? Yeah. Maybe well, you want and celebrity stuff, I don't know.
1: There seems to be quite a bit of confusion now. And I, I, I don't get it because it wasn't like this in back in my day. <laughs> Back in my Someone day. Someone had to say it, Kathleen. <laughs> back in my day, we just understood what a reporter's job was. And the reporter was just supposed to tell us who, what, where, when, why, and sometimes how. And now that doesn't seem to be the case. Now we really have a populace who thinks that just uh sharing a factual story <clears throat> makes you either against the government of the day or in the pocket of the government of the day or uh, some kind of co-conspirator with the government of the day. So it, Catherine, how, how have you dealt with those criticisms? Because as I mentioned previously, I've seen you take a lot of abuse <laughs> and for the, the most part remain um, pretty much unflappable on the surface, but I I doubt that you feel unflappable all the time when that abuse is being hurled your way. So how have you coped with this fake news, attack all the reporters and journalists trend that's happening?
3: Uh, Well, one of the wonderful things about having subscriber only newsletter is I don't get the randoms in my inbox and the (laughs) abusive voicemail. So on Twitter, let's say it's Far more easy to just mute it like if you are uh getting some abuse saying like you are a dumb such and such from somebody <laughs> whose name is uh you know
1: bob in, eight in eight five, numbers nine,
3: 16, <laughs> yeah. then you kind of consider the source right right um but i i think i think to be in journalism you have to have somewhat of a thick skin but um i mean it's like I said, since the beginning of my career, it's been, it's been like, you can have the exact same story and you're going to have some people who, who say you, this is right wing garbage. You, you're a corporate shill. And then uh, on the exact same story, exact same story, it'll be like, you left wing not job wacky yeah what are you doing and so and so I think I just take it as um people's perceptions like what 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 are those psychology tests you look at the Rorschach at the, yeah the Rorschach test that's <laughs> it, sometimes sometimes that's what it feels like to write uh an article that's um, a really but,
1: good analogy actually yeah. <laughs> that's a very good analogy because really uh any news story any op-ed column any report could could serve as that, couldn't it? Really? Yeah.
2: The, and, and, that, the attacks yeah. are all aimed at, I think, is discrediting the reporter and the source because yes. they don't want the story to be believed. So, mm. of course, if, if Catherine's writing it, you know, she's just a right-wing shill. So. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. well, and, and that, That's
2: and, a new thing, right? That's a, you
3: know. Yeah, and um, I think something that has changed, and I'm sure yeah. Sheila can speak more to this, Is on, since we are on social media, it's almost about uh, like you never wanted to be the news. You you might be happy to see your byline, but people didn't really know the person who is writing the story. And now I think, especially for in my case as an independent, you kind of almost want to brand yourself and um, people kind of look to individual journalists or individual columnists as sources of information um, beyond just, say, the publication, you know, like the paper of record, the Edmonton Journal, you're going to go to that for your information. I think more so people follow journalists rather than strictly just the publication.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've kind of noticed too, and I mean, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, because this is the field of the two of you and not mine. But I've noticed, too, that now op-ed columnists and some reporters have become their own story. I, I I always thought that, you know, the reporter should never be the story. The reporter should never be the story. There's a great line in um, the movie about Roger Ailes, where Charlize Theron says, as Megyn Kelly, I'm going to be the story, aren't I? I'm gonna be the story, and she doesn't want that because that's not what a reporter does. And yet, with the advent of social media and its full explosion into uh, political op-ed and reporting, that has become more the focus. It, you look at your Andy Andy Ing, yeah. who's become a, a right-wing alt-right darling, even a a few a few. Reporters, I'm using quotation marks for all our (laughs) listeners, even a few reporters and columnists in Canada who shall remain unmentioned, who are far more interested in their own byline and their own media presence than they are in actually reporting the news. Sheila, do you see that as something that has increased over the years or has there always been a little bit of vanity involved in in the trade?
2: I think, in, again, to make the distinction between reporters and columnists is important because I think columnists have always had a slight celebrity status, and um, you know, the eye opener guy in the early 1900s in Calgary, you know, that was Barry Westgate. Here, there were l- l- lots of people have always had uh, a bit of a profile. So I think, I think, uh, I, I don't, and I, I mean, even Lauren Gunter in Edmonton had a bit of. A Profile right, and of yeah. Paula, she's was total personality person. Now, now she's a politician, so you can't you can't say her celebrity now is due to her journalism. It's her right senator, and she's you know it's her platform in a way. So I I think it, it's always been there to a certain extent. I think it's enhanced now just because social media makes their profile bigger. I mean, you know, they have a bigger reach. They're across the country now. They're not just a big guy in Edmonton or a big woman in Edmonton. Um, so that partly enhance it now going into the reporter thing um yeah there are a few like i can think of ronan farrow who did the whole me too stuff um on weinstein Mm -hmm. and he's a bit of a a a because of that story that he covered um but i don't but i don't find he is also now out of the media so i i don't find him you know overdoing that but there certainly is in the rise of right-wing media there have become reporters With the divisiveness of this now, the polarization, there are reporters I'm going to go to and I believe because they reflect my reality. Um, And
0: Daniel Dale. Yeah, for instance. We all knew who Daniel Dale was because he Mm -hmm. was the one who was actually keeping spreadsheets and track of 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 whether or not these were truthful statements
2: but but he wasn't seeking the limelight no be a big guy he was doing a job no one else was doing and we all relied on that so
1: and doing it damn well and starting a trend Mm -hmm. like kudos to Mm -hmm. Mr. Dale for that especially because he made fact checking hot again (laughs)
3: facts
1: (laughs) are hot thank you Danielle Dale And, you know,
0: I actually with with that, um, like with with Trump, with covering him, we kept hearing how difficult it was. And there seemed to be this this um, I'm going to say an outcry from the public for calling a spade a spade. It was it was almost like they they added this additional pressure onto uh, reporters that were covering this stuff, saying, call a lie a lie. Right. Stop saying mistruth. Stop saying you know wasn't quite true. No, 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 no. It's just it's false. And so I kind of wonder, as well, seeing that, did it change? Uh, like journalistic integrity. We always think of this is this is a great thing for the publications to have. This is a great thing for independence to have. But is it? in this era I mean I'm sure that people had to cover people who lied before it just wasn't so freaking in your face constant um is do you think that that's also kind of changing where where journalistic integrity of you know we don't say that the that the politician is lying we don't say that these are lies but that's what people wanted the the they wanted a blunt instrument back at 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 the attacks right no say it's a lie and do you think that's going do you think that changed or or could potentially move us into a bit of a change where where people are expected to I hate to say be more honest because that wasn't the problem in the first place just what they were dealing with forced them I think into a into a space where where things had to change but is that well, I, I, I mean, it, it was very difficult because you're, when, and, the,
2: and the, to be honest, I don't think in the 90s, the mainstream, and even 2000s, the mainstream media had a very good way to deal with this, because the way has always been, well, if politician A says this, I quote it because he's saying it, right. and it, even if I know it's kind of dicey, I'll go get comment from the other side, and they'll point that out, but meanwhile, I have printed something. But that's just how the media worked, right? We always... I don't know, Catherine, we always were obliged to get both sides. And if we wanted, we certainly wanted our public to know what was being said, but that became very much more complicated in the Trump era when the constant falsehoods um, were out there. And I, I've, I have noticed a switch since Trump lost the election mm-hmm. that now in the, in when the American papers write about this, they say, they don't say the election comma that Trump says was stolen. They say, you know, Trump is still perpetrating this falsehood that the election was stolen. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they
1: lit—they got- li- they literally call it the big lie. Yeah. The big
2: lie. And that, that is a big movement from yeah. the first years. And honestly, I just think the mainstream media didn't have a good way of doing it until fact-checking, then, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of thing got really big, and then they realized we wanted to do it.
1: Well, but and it, we have... ins that needs
2: to be sorted out. And I know one that I, I don't think we've come to good answers on it yet.
1: We we now have access to instant fact-checking, too. And we have to remember that that wasn't there for a very long time. A, a reporter couldn't just sit in the press room and, and pull up something on Google, you know.
3: Yeah.
1: If yeah. if they were given spin that sounded a bit dicey, well, they're going to have to go research that. And the research, twenty even just 20 years ago, was a heck of a lot more time consuming and intensive than heading to a computer or pulling out your phone or being able to
0: have like during during live tweet threads i would i would quote something and i'd be like fact check ab ledge like i i don't i'm i'm still following this i don't have time to look at it myself but this doesn't seem right to me and people would they would they would look something up and they would throw it in there and say yeah that's that is true or it's not so and again, I guess I don't even want to call it citizen journalism. Just people are engaged, right? And they're willing to go through and find that for you, which is awesome. go source well, the factor.
3: Right? There's, there's,
1: but we have to keep in mind, too, there's good engagement with reporters, and then there's a really negative engagement. Yeah. One of the things that really distressed me uh, during the Trump era The nightmare that was the Trump era was how people were demanding that White House reporters walk out and not attend press press briefings like this would solve as if that was possible anything. (laughs) No, I don't want them staging a protest. I want our reporters there reporting on every word this monster of a human being says. And why are we putting the onus on the people who are, are letting us know what's happening. I mean, it's like kicking the crap out of the paper boy because I don't like Rick Bell's ne- recent column. You know, it doesn't really make any sense whatsoever. Uh, Catherine, I'm wondering how, because we, we do like to tackle women's issues as well, how much of the abuse you've received online just through the normal course of doing your job has been sexist in nature how much of that do you think is based on your being a woman doing this job as opposed to just the job
3: that is a very good question (laughs) i i I feel like i get a lot less abuse than my television (laughs) colleagues okay my television reporters have to deal with you know the people yelling that horrible phrase you know they could pour their like weeks into a investigative television report and they'll get email commenting on their lipstick or what they're wearing yeah um of, of course there's misogyny there's also um one of the really bizarre uh forms of abuse i got was from someone who incorrectly assumed i was jewish and there's a white supremacist curling slurs, so I mean it's gender. Um, I'm I'm able bodied. I'm white, mm-hmm. so I don't I don't um, get the same abuse that uh, a woman of color would get. Right. But um, definitely, there's there's p- people who you know I'll I'll tweet something out, um, reporting on something, and you know I'll get oh of course it's always the ones with the pronouns in the bio <laughs> that's so my like, favorite insult
1: that's my, my favorite f- insult I go hell yeah it is you're right like, we run a gang uh, was, over here
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know so I mean uh I, I feel like I don't get the same uh gendered abuse like I said as my uh television colleagues like every, every now and then you know, it'll be like, oh, you're ugly, or you're, <laughs> you're such and such. And and I just, I just think, well, how sad, you, you can't um, engage with the substance of the subject matter, you have to resort to personal attacks, like, that's on you, yeah. bro. And, and for
1: Sheila, you've been doing this for um, a long time, your words, and I kind of envision you as, you know, that, that ballsy dame who walks into a smoke filled newsroom and lets the boys not going to push you around. How much of that have you dealt with through your career? Because you, you actually began your career in a in a time when women were still just fighting to be in the workplace and be respected in the workplace. So how much of that have you faced in your career?
2: You know, I was thinking about that leading up to the podcast, because when I started in the Medicine Hat News, yeah, I was the only female reporter in that newsroom, although they did have a writer doing the, quote, women's pages, uh, one page on, you know. Women's, women's- pages? Yeah. <laughs> in the Medicine Hat News. So, so yeah, and I mean, there was lots of, you had to be one of the boys, for sure, you know, you had to do the, you know, go for the beers after, and, you know, there was no way you could cover cops, you know, because eyes at the station to just be too hard on you but i i didn't get and i i don't i didn't get a lot of personal abuse the way you get on twitter uh mm-hmm. these days i think that's a whole new level of of abusiveness that people get because people on twitter just go crazy sometimes it's it's a forum for you know they just have no censure public censure for guess what they're saying so i was glad i i never had to deal with that yeah you had to be ballsy you had to push yourself forward to get listened. i was on honestly often covering things where you're the only female in a room of a bunch of, you know, oil guys on an environmental hearing or, um, and I mean, even covering Laheed, I followed him tons of places. And uh, so I, I didn't, I just didn't feel that interestingly, that kind of, I mean, occasionally from your colleagues, but that kind of really pointed stuff that is on Twitter now, thank God, I'm just not out there in the middle of that. Um, I'm, I'm
0: lucky for that. It's very kind of like the idea, yet not that it's actually gotten worse. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but it's gotten worse for guys
2: too because they go after yes. you know men who don't agree. Equality, but they, but they are more pointed about women. I mean, I think Rachel Notley's the only politician I know had a target on her in a golf course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if and we with... had that on me. I didn't ever see it.
1: <laughs> with women, I've I found online the attacks are—they're far more. Po- Pointed, they're far more meant to tear at the very core of who we are they're far more meant to cause us to cry and cause us to retreat whereas the attacks on men tend to be more combative in nature come at me debate me fight yeah. me let's go which is you know how men treat each other on the streets in real life anyways but i found that the The gendered attacks on women are really meant to destroy, not to engage in battle. And it's very easy to be an absolutely horrible person on Twitter because you never have to face the person you're victimizing. Mm -hmm. You're hiding behind your Bob 8679309 profile, and you'll never be taken to task for the things you say. On a more positive note, I'd like to ask each of you a question. It's a bit of a trick question, but uh, in all your years of reporting, what has been your favorite story to cover? What story really got you excited and maybe made you sink more time into it than was probably productive for you? But what story did you cover that was maybe a bit life-changing for you? Deirdre I feel like we should have like you know Jeopardy music for this
0: part (laughs) my editing skills are limited Kathleen
2: (laughs) yep one can we say two sure give us two
0: Sheila you've you've been at this long enough
1: that I think we can afford you two yeah
2: yeah I I I mean I have to go with more recent ones because there were many in the past that I loved too and one of them is Covering this whole political saga of Alberta has just been a, I've loved doing every minute of that. But that's a lot of continuous, kind of boring stories. So I did like doing the Omer Cotter story because that was a really big Canadian story that went to the heart of big issues, justice and everything. And, yeah. you know, getting phone calls to Guantanamo Bay and all that kind of stuff. I, I really. That's what I thought. This is what journalism can do, right? This, this is about human rights. This is about terror. This is about safety and security. And what do our governments do about this? So that was a really um, good one. And my other favorite one that I did on oh, two of them, I have three, but I'll stop with two. <laughs> there farmers in Peace River who had. Um, they were getting sick and their cattle were getting sick. And there was, it's because of a way they were producing the oil up there. I don't know, Captain, you might remember a bit of that story. Um, and I remember going up there and spent a lot of time up there. And, you know, I was in their houses and couldn't get sick on those fumes. It was awful. And in the end, they were forced to have a public hearing about this and then this conversation. But it really put me in touch with what it's like to be little guys fighting the powers that be. Which is one of the essences of journalism, right? You're supposed to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, and uh, and so I, I I know I really enjoyed doing that story. In the end, they they won they won their battle and they had to put some pollution control equipment on this on these oil things
1: and um anyway, and that was one of the
2: last stories I did in the last ten years, I guess. So.
1: I think the the Omar uh, Carter coverage that that you did it i have to tell you it changed a lot for me about how i saw how we engage in uh these these battles in the middle east and who the real victims are and how we define who is a terrorist and who is a child soldier yeah. and who we believe deserves human rights it it was, that was it a was huge, yeah Amazing coverage, amazing work that you did. And I really appreciated how you, you told his story void of the hyperbolic language that so many other publications were embracing at that point in time because they really felt that that's what the readers wanted and it didn't do the story itself any justice. So in, in all sincerity, I think we owe you a debt of gratitude for how you covered his story because you honored it and you avoided the hyperbole hyperbole and rhetoric and, and you gave us you gave us a story that will stay with this country for a very long time.
2: Oh well thank you. stay with me and it was it was a it was a big education for me to learn all about this when I was covering it to make sure it got it for free uh, how I thought it should. So thank you. It was a it was a journey. <laughs>
1: and katherine how about you give us your, your your favorite story that you covered
0: how do i follow back <laughs> <laughs> i know uh, oh, at least this oh. time kathleen didn't say this was like you know touched her soul like she did last time we had to give somebody else the, the crying. <laughs> i'm not
1: crying that's a good start right? people on twitter <laughs> would be amazed at how often i cry and it's never over some name Some man called me on Twitter either yeah, It's like yeah. something some woman did and I'm,
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> So Catherine give us what you got yeah.
3: <laughs> You got lost, Catherine. You got lots <laughs> Oh well see I, I have a very bad Long term memory I don't remember what I wrote last week Like it is, <laughs> Once I've written it It is gone um, I'm going to go in a complete different direction um and (laughs) just one of my personal i guess one of my personal favorites were um we used to do previews for festival place when musicians were coming
2: yeah
3: and um i got to talk to bonnie tyler and (laughs) oh my god (laughs) and i like okay my friends and i high school even though it's like a little for our time would blast Total Eclipse the Heart and do donuts in the parking lot we love like Bonnie Tyler and I got to interview her and she was just so hilarious and so awesome and I loved doing that interview it was, um, like all, all, all sorts of entertainment is actually so fun to do like go to Boonstock and you wake up and there's dirt in your nostrils and it's so like literally physically dirty <laughs> um, <laughs> I love I love covering those type of stories, but I would say my favorite to do, and the reason this um, newsletter is so fulfilling to me is because I, I feel like I cover stuff that is, uh, that has been dropped off as newsrooms shrink, I cover every little amendment, I tell what stage the bill is at, and for me, um, just the day-to-day I find, I find so fulfilling. Like I love the wonky stuff, the reports, and I love the procedural nerdery. I love it. I love being a procedural nerd. And to me, that you are such a nerd,
1: though.
0: You are (laughs) such a nerd,
3: but I love it. You're like your peak
1: poly geek, and we have mad stuff for that. We have mad respect for that around this place. We love the poly geeks. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I I used to love that too. That step by step thing, especially in politics, man. Oh, there's that little
0: wrinkle. That's fantastic.
2: Yeah, yeah, I totally get it, Catherine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Deirdre, I think we've filled a full hour now.
0: I think we have.
1: This has been fantastic. Thank you both for sharing this time with us and for sharing your your stories with the reader, with our listenership. And I I really hope that what you've shared here. Maybe sort of inspire some of our listeners to re- rethink their current attitude towards the people who bring it's us. Probably the not news. our listeners
0: who are amazing and are yeah. our are awesome. yeah, our listeners are pretty awesome. Our listeners just need
1: <laughs> to get their husbands to listen.
0: Yeah,
2: there
1: you go. <laughs> <laughs>